Welcome back to Whiteout Weekly on a glorious victory week, but yet another heart-stopping victory against a Big Ten opponent in the opening week. Penn State survives the Purdue Boilermaker blackout, 35-31. But before that, we're going to go around the trenches, a.k.a. around the Big Ten, and just kind of go over what happened this weekend um, in our favorite conference. So, Dave, what did you uh, what did you see this weekend? So, definitely a lot to unravel. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll touch on the Penn State game and how close that was. But <clears throat> when you look across the landscape, not just college football, especially in the Big Ten, you had a lot of teams that had a couple scares. Uh, so, kicking it off in your favorite city. Iowa City, uh-huh. where we had the Iowa Hawkeyes struggling with the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, uh, putting up a grand total of seven points, and no, they did not score a touchdown. I, I had, had to check the play-by-play play to confirm. And I was like, how did they get seven without a touchdown? <laughs> <laughs> no sense. One field goal and two safeties <laughs> to come out of their home stadium unscathed against the Jackrabbits. So Spencer Petrus, I was for those bit, keeping track at home is still god awful. Uh, no, uh, I mean, offense. can we admit I was elite? <laughs> yeah. When we let up, what did they let up? Three points against the FCS team, and they're elite. <laughs> yeah, uh, didn't do jack shit on offense. So uh, plenty to be concerned about in Iowa City, especially yes. with the battle of the Cyhawk Trophy looming this week uh, when Iowa State comes to town. So that's where I would go first. Um, second of all, the primetime matchup, Ohio State Notre Dame uh, left. I know you, myself, and probably a lot to be desired there, um, especially when you look at our wallets, because uh, I think a lot of us were hammering that Ohio State. Yes. And a half. But in turn, my, yeah, my wallet is empty, but my heart is a little full just because yeah. you can see that Ohio State is a little vulnerable, even though it was the first week. They'll definitely get better throughout the season. But um, my one of the, my uh, Heisman picks from our first episode jackson smith and jigba mm-hmm. went down which was not good um but yeah i think i think they're gonna eventually get things going but that was honestly it did hurt our wallets hard <laughs> but in the end it was probably a good thing for penn state to see them vulnerable and see how a scheme or like a little strategy that you can possibly beat them with yeah definitely couple of ways to take that one. Um, they won that ball game a, a different way than they're probably accustomed to. You know, Notre Dame, take it for how you want. They're, they were a top five team going into that game. Uh, C.J. Stroud looked pretty average. Uh, made some big time throws when he needed it. Uh, I didn't even see a whole lot from Travion Henderson. Uh, it was a pretty steady dose of Mayan Williams, uh, second string running back who, who came in uh, and was pretty clutch for them. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, still came in on top. Scary part is that defense did look better. 
uh, with Jim Knowles at the helm coming over from Oklahoma State. So that's another yeah. thing to keep an eye on. Um, but at the end of the day, hey, they didn't blow them out like everyone intended. So still some hope, like you said, you know, for Penn State and the rest of the Big Ten East and the Big Ten. Um, and then lastly, for me, I'm looking at Michigan. Um, so dominated in their home opener against Colorado State. Uh, pretty lowly opponent. Um, the quarterback battle still ongoing. So you had Cade McNamara getting the start here. J.J. McCarthy will get the start this week. Yep. against Hawaii and should have a day. J.J. McCarthy did come in yeah, yeah. in relief a little bit, and right? had some nice plays. Uh, I think the obvious choice here would be to go with McCarthy. But for whatever reason, it uh, seems like Harbaugh still has some loyalty or still sticking with McNamara Keep as a going. former quarterback. Keep so, it going. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, as a Penn State fan, I wouldn't mind seeing McNamara continue to be at the helm because I think – McCarthy is obviously the more talented, uh, but just something to keep an eye on there. Uh, their next couple opponents, they got Co- or Hawaii rather, next. followed by UConn. So not like it's a marquee opponent okay. that's going to make a clear difference in that race, but it sounds like it is ongoing. So Cade will be so McCarthy will play Hawaii, and then Cade will be back in versus. UConn, or are they going to make a decision? I don't know if they went that far. I think they said at least McNamara will get game one, which he did, and then McCarthy will get game two, and then they'll play kind of game three is kind of up in the air again with it being UConn. It's a pretty low, another lowly opponent. So, so let's hope it's to give it to McNamara and he just oh, absolutely destroys it. And then, absolutely, there you go. (laughs) If you want, (laughs) at least Penn State faces them, absolutely. Um, so for me, I'm going to go with one of my Big Ten betting bonanza bets. It was – so I bet the live uh, spread, Indiana minus one and a half. We recorded a couple of days earlier, so the official tally is that I had it at Indiana minus three. But this game was just the ultimate Big Ten this is why we do the Big Ten betting bonanza for games like this. <laughs> Let me go over what happened from 13 minutes, basically two minutes into the second half for the rest of the game. It was 17 to 16. The following drives, Indiana, punt, Illinois, punt, Indiana, punt, Illinois, fumble. Got some life for Indiana. Guess what they do? punt and then the fourth quarter was just absolute mayhem so after that indiana punt illinois goes on nine play 62 yard drive they were stopped four times within the six yard line for a turnover on downs (laughs) goes back to indiana who then punts goes get Illinois throws an interception back to Indiana, who then fumbles the ball back to Illinois. This is all in the fourth quarter. I'm just watching this literally almost having a heart attack. Illinois, their kicker, uh, they had terrible offensive possession. I, th- I only think they, I think they went three and out for all in their field goal unit. Their kicker, Caleb Griffin, the long of his career was 27 yards. This was for 48, drills it, drills it down the middle. 
So after the field goal, Indiana then goes on a 12 play, 75 yard drive where their running back, Sean Shivers, scores a touchdown with 23 seconds left to win 23 to 20. I get the Big Ten betting bonanza push, but more importantly, the wallet's a little less empty after that Ohio State blowout. Uh, second around the 5,000 plus fans at Memorial Stadium were going bonkers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wish I was there, would have been one of them. Uh, secondly, I got the um tweet that we came across of the Rutgers fan with the jersey, uh, fuck Penn State, PHUK, Penn State, number 66. First of all, if you're a man over, I would even say 24, and you're ordering a custom jersey, you're one of the low lowlifes of the earth. I'm sorry. You're just a scumbag. You're just a scumbag. Ordering a custom jersey at that age, like, get come on. It's already weird enough wearing a jersey of another man. Like, you know what I mean? But then getting a <laughs> custom one on top of that, like, that's just weird. But, I mean, I just have no reaction to this. We haven't paid a single cent of rent in Rucker's head for three decades straight, and we've just dwelled there rent-free. So keep hating us. We'll just keep kicking your ass every time we see you. Mm-hmm. And lastly, I want to give a big shout out to Joey Porter Jr. He was named the Bedneric Player of the Week with eight solo tackles, six forced incompletions, including five pass breakups. He was absolutely targeted all game, 17 total targets. He only allowed eight catches for 88 yards, no touchdowns. And had that incredible 99 Madden awareness recovery, fumble recovery on the sideline mm-hmm. where he kept himself in bounds. That was just absolutely electric. So shout out to Joey Porter. And on that note, let's get into that absolutely electric finish at <laughs> Purdue. There was, I mean, there's moments where I thought, the season was over. There was moments where I thought we were a legit team. There was moments where I thought Drew Aller should be the quarterback for the rest of the game. There are moments where I was all over the place. Where were you at in this game? I definitely woke up Friday morning with gray hair. Uh, <laughs> seems to have gone away. Uh, just like you said, there was moments particularly after that pick six and probably a few others where I was staring at the TV screen, preparing myself to continue to stare at a blank TV screen and disgust with the potential turnout. Uh, Definite uh, joy that we came out on top. You know, I would compare it to last year uh, with that Wisconsin game. Obviously we were on the other end of this where we had the ball last or not technically last, but basically had the last uh, touchdown uh, to go ahead. 
So a lot of mixed feelings in this game. A lot of things that I wanted to see that was looking forward to that didn't quite pan out. So definitely a mix of emotions. But at the end of the day, you're one to know. You got a conference road win, uh, conference win. So I'll I'll take that all day long heading here into into week two. Yeah, especially first week with you know a lot of the new guys and new positions. Everyone getting kind of used to the system. Uh, hostile environment, night game, blackout. Definitely a lot to be desired in terms of the quarterback play, but um, I think I was very disappointed in our defensive line play. Mm-hmm. Uh, King Daru, that's how you plan. That's how I pronounce mm-hmm. his last name. 3.8 yards per carry, two touchdowns. Um, his backup, Dylan Downing, went for 3.5 yards per carry. It just didn't seem like we had any sort of push on the D-line in terms of our run defending and in terms of pass rushing. We had a total of 15 hurries, which wasn't that great. Two sacks, which didn't come from defensive linemen came from cornerback Johnny Dixon and uh, Jonathan Sutherland and only two quarterback hits from chop Robinson. And again, Jonathan Sutherland. So, I mean, a lot to be desired from this defensive line in terms of getting to the quarterback, making them uncomfortable. Like we said last week has to be a thing has to be a thing for this defense. Um, Not only to help out our secondary, but just to stop the run and, Get our get the opposing quarterback just in out of his rhythm. That's key in college football. But the one big takeaway I did have is uh Chop Robinson had the third highest defensive grade according to PFF um on the team. He had two hurries, a quarterback hit, one defensive stop, but he missed two tackles, finished with the 69.7. Uh, defensive grade according to PFF, so that was that was a bright spot definitely for me. Yeah, I think you could look at you know what do you call it freezing cold takes with my take on what the D line would do this game. <laughs> I think I was oh yeah predicting at least four or five sacks. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition. Uh, Chop, I do did really like what I saw out of him. Uh, he had that last drive pressure on Aiden, although he didn't get credit for the sack, but, you know, he basically sacked him. Um, so that was really encouraging to see. But like you said, didn't get the push that we were looking for. Yeah. Uh, PJ Mustafer, he was didn't necessarily play all the snaps, which you didn't expect, given the injury that he was coming off of. Didn't hear his name a lot. You see some images or when you go back and play back the film, you know, there's instances where he's getting triple, double team, triple team which is, uh, you know, to be assumed. But Adisa Isaac still getting back in the game action. Didn't see a lot out of him, although some signs were encouraging there. But again, I think Chop was definitely the bright spot on that line. Yeah, Uh, Played a lot of guys, not just on the D-line, but throughout the game. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of young guys. I think seven freshmen in total played. So looking at this D-line, still a lot to be desired. Uh, especially coming up here against a very inferior Mac opponent, which we'll get into with Ohio. But 
not enough to say, oh my God, what's happening, but definitely not the progression that I would have liked to seen right here, right out the gate. I was expecting a lot more out of this group, especially looking at a quarterback who slung the rock 58 times to not get him to the dirt. Aside from, like you mentioned, Johnny Dixon, who's your corner, and Jonathan Sutherland, the linebacker spot, yeah, uh, the only ones getting design blitzes, basically, you know. Yeah. Um, Tarberton did have four hurries, but no QB hits or sacks. So, I mean, there is there was pressure on the quarterback, but just not consistent pressure. He was easily stepping away from it and making throws down the field. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that game? My biggest takeaway, I'm just going to get right into it, the the quarterback play. <laughs> so, Fair. Sean Clifford, you know, he's a steady presence on this podcast and a lot of Penn Staters' minds. I, I give him all the credit in the world, right, for rebounding, leading us down, getting that win. But he's, I guess from my perspective, he's never improved. From James Franklin's perspective, you don't owe this guy anything, right? This is his fourth year as a starter. He's been a bullseye 60% completion percentage. Did the receivers have drops in this game? Yes. But he finished at about 54%, I think it was, completion percentage, 20 for 37. So given they catch a couple more of those, he's at about that 60 mark. Made a absolute god-awful throw. Uh, on that pick six that as a 24-year-old quarterback, you can't make. And for me, coming uh, almost, into this game... Almost a game changer, too. Like he, Almost game changer, he yeah. He sailed that ball. Like, nowhere like, close. Nowhere close to him. Again, on that last drive, all the credit in the world. Made it click. Got him down the field. 80 yards, you know, in one Six and a half seven, minutes or whatever the final yards. total was. 72 yards. So, absolutely give him the credit there. But you could just see the writing on the wall. They're going to drop a couple games with that type of play because this guy is the absolute definition of he is what he is. Mm -hmm. And for those who think he's going to have that Kenny Pickett type year, and I hope I get burned on this take, but it's it's just not going to happen. And even from that small series that Aller came in that ball game, not just from the words of Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, but I know everyone in America felt what that fucking kid had. And I tell you, I kid you not, that incompletion of Tyler Warren, I've never watched an incomplete pass highlight more times in my life. <laughs> I probably watched it at least 15 times. But even leaving Singleton and Allen aside out of this, you felt that kid's presence I mean, in do- those six to eight plays. And you thought, this kid's got it. He so makes those mind, throws look effortless. The scramble play yeah. to uh, Parker Washington just effortless. That yeah. dot over the linebacker, outside of the numbers, outside of the cornerback, to the sidelines, which was incomplete, but just an absolute dot. Like, yeah, you could just yeah. you could see his... or kind of worrying, like, oh, are we should we retro him? Like, should we just have him study and blah blah blah? It's like, nah, he's got the talent. Like he's he's already there. His presence in that pocket 
and the couple plays where he was able to evade the rut, you know, on that third down play where he slung the miss to Mitchell Tinsley, he probably mm-hmm. could have run for that first down, but that's a learning experience. So in my mind, in this week against Ohio, he should play every snap. There is no need for Sean Clifford to play in this game for a guy who's 24 years old, who you would expect to have seen a a step in this Purdue game. After all the talk, second year under Mike Yurcich, you know, knows the offense like the back of his hand. Did he have nice plays? Did he throw for four touchdowns? Absolutely. But I think this team and this program gains a hell of a lot more if you sit him out this week and play Drew Aller against Ohio and truly get a full game sample size of what this kid's got because I don't think that you get any sort of benefit from Sean Clifford going out and throwing three touchdowns against Ohio Bobcats. I just don't. And that's, that's just kind of where I stand on this, on this position. I I tend to agree, but I will play devil's advocate here. I think if you announce right away that Clifford's on your backup, Allers has started before the Ohio, the uh, Iowa game. Ohio game, um, that is going to just absolutely crush that kid's confidence. And he just came off a game-winning drive where his confidence has to be at an all-time high. So I do agree that Aller definitely needs to get meaningful reps in this game. I don't think that you can – I don't think you can just bench Clifford after that, after that performance. I think you start him for a half – if he even sucks in the first quarter and isn't performing in the first quarter, put an hour. But I think you should play a minimum of one half, no matter the score. Minimum one half, second half should be hour the rest of the way. Yeah, and listen, this goes back to our conversation, right, of does Franklin have, quote-unquote, the balls to do this? Do I yes. expect Aller to start? Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Do I expect Sean Clifford to be there under center from out of the gate? Absolutely. Yeah. From my perspective, if he comes in and if he has a horrible first drive, the tone I would send, I would, I would yank his ass. Is that going to happen? Probably not. And that's another conversation, you know, that we've had before and that can continue Mm -hmm. to have about Franklin. But I just think that you don't gain anything from playing Sean Clifford in this game. You already know what you're going to get out of him when you even looking ahead to the next weekend against Auburn. Again, you got a six-year quarterback experience that you expect to help help you manage through that hostile environment, and you're still going to be weary that he's going to make that errant throw when yeah. it matters. And it's really building upon the future, and Drew Aller is the future, and you just got to get him as many game reps as he can, and you take advantage of a terrible opponent that is Ohio. Yeah, and it's and, – uh like we talked about, like despite the the pop that Singleton showed, our run offensive is just still not there. Not quite there just yet. And you don't want to see what we saw last year against Villanova, right, where you had a lot of fans yeah. grumbling after that game, where you couldn't get push against an FCS opponent. Yeah. God forbid that happens again this week. I think the O-line, again, without getting too much into it, didn't take the step that we would, I think, have anticipated. But if they show a similar performance 
this week that we saw last year against Nova, then there there's a real concern there if they can't if they can't get a real push against a Mac opponent. They look they look good in the last drive with um uh Norzad, Shanu, Efner, Scrubs. Mm-hmm. That was a good unit, but they were kind of swapping people in and out throughout the game. But I thought that last drive, that unit was was the one. And that's something to watch too with that right tackle battle. Caden Wallace, he could very well be looking behind him at at, at uh, Efner. I Franklin said better, right after the game, I think sorry. Franklin, who very seldomly ever calls out players, said that Caden Wallace has a lot to work on. So I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on, that he, that position might not be solidified. And you could see Bryce Efner sliding right into that right tackle spot. Yeah, that is not good. All right. Why isn't he benching him? Is he like that kind of a locker room guy where it's like, that's what I don't get. And that's what I was saying is you don't owe this guy jack shit. You've given him so many opportunities. And he just is the same. <laughs> Literally hasn't gotten any better in four years. Yeah. Since he took the reins. Uh, I guess that's the most frustrating part is you know exactly what you're going to get from him. And he'll give you the gritty wins, which he got last week. But he's also going to give you that the heartbreak, or he's just going to get injured. I mean, the good it's thing is ball, this year, or you know, there is obviously right out the gate. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right out the gate, you learn that it's not a Taquan Roberson situation where you have a capable backup. So that's the good news. But it's like, how many games do you allow him to lose you? I know, man, and that's first clip we ever put out this season. Mm-hmm. Does Franklin have the? Freaking yeah. cojones to pull him when you need to. I don't he did not against Purdue, but we're down in the end. Thank God. Yeah. But it easily, I mean, then, yeah. it easily couldn't have. So, moving on from that exciting victory to the game against the Ohio Bobcats, the home opener for the Nittany Lions, noon on ABC. Penn State is a 24-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under in that game is 53. So you got to imagine that Penn State is going to either cover this game and you can bet on the team total of Iowa, like under 13, or Iowa might score a couple touchdowns and Penn State's going to need to push the tempo. Um, so I actually played last week. They opened at home versus a conference USA opponent in Florida Atlantic. Uh, they were down 17 to three at halftime, surprisingly. Um, but held off the Owls, came back to win 41 to 38, but we're up 41 to 24 with seven minutes and 10 seconds left in the fourth. So that final score kind of Excuse the uh, what actually happened in the game. Um, as far as their roster goes, they have a redshirt junior from Ontario, Canada, known as the Maple Missile, Curtis Rourke. Um, last week he was twenty-seven of thirty-four, which is good for a seventy-nine point four percent accuracy rating, which is insane. Threw for 345 yards with four passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, 
and zero turnovers. So definitely not obviously on the level of uh, Aiden O'Connell, but definitely a guy to watch out for with a name like the Maple Missile. <laughs> Do you got anything on their uh, skill positions? Hard to top the Maple Missile. I know. I, mean, I, I think we got our nice little Canadian Christian value, but Maple Missile is tough, tough to match. <laughs> Uh, looking at the skill spots, I have running back uh, Saye Bangora, uh, true for, or freshman rather because of the COVID year, you know, still considered a freshman. Uh, had a nice game last week, 23 carries, 114 yards. Uh, so definitely something to watch out for. Again, you know, that's up against a Conference USA opponent. So take it for what it is. Uh, wide receiver position, they got James Bostic, who's might very well might be one of the biggest receivers that we actually go up against this year at 6'3, 230. So Ooh. pretty nice size target. Uh did have six catches, 136 yards and a tutty uh last week. And then uh the other wide receiver to look out for is they have Sam Wigloos, uh Ohio State transfer, uh small bodied yeah. fellow, 5'11, about a buck eighty. Uh, did catch two touchdowns for them. Nice slot receiver slot option for this offense. Um, so those would be the the key guys to look out for on the offensive side of the ball. So given that uh, going into this game, fairly confident that Penn State will win, what is your key matchup? Is it on the offensive side of the ball or defensive side of the ball? I think it's going to be offensive side of the ball and the, it's just going to be the glaring uh, spot in this team is going to be the offensive line. Um, And I know we just kind of hammered it home in the last segment, but that offensive line, you need to see progression there. I think Olufushanu played out, not outstanding, but I think he had a fine game against Purdue. Didn't hear his name a lot, which is what you want to be the case. Uh, you know, call it his second start. I know he started the Outback Bowl. Um, but I think the rest of the line played fairly well. Juice Scruggs holding it down at the center spot, as you would expect. A little bit of flipping at the left guard spot with Landon Tengwall and Hunter Norzad. Norzad in there for the most part towards the end of the game. And then Salim Warmly and Caden Wallace on the right side, uh, on the right-hand side with uh, Efner coming in. So I think... It really, it's a combination for me between the O-line and the running backs, which, again, is the topic of conversation outside of the quarterback play. But just like I mentioned with Drew Aller and that spark that you felt, I felt that, and I'm sure a lot of people felt that with Singleton and Allen, where those guys are just oh, different. Yeah. So really, for me, this game, I'm A, looking for the push up front that we didn't get, like we said last year against Villanova, against a very inferior opponent but also looking for one of those guys to break a, I'm talking a 50, 60 yard run. Yeah. You know, or at this yeah. point, shit, I'd take a 10 yard run. I think we had one of them last week against Purdue. Yeah. It was league. So bigger runs this week and really not just wanting to establish the run, but actually doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I think as far as the offensive lines confidence that that's going to help tremendously if we just have one game where they're just constantly pushing line controlling the line we rush for over 100 yards 
I think that'll help them a lot with their development and just their overall confidence with, quite frankly, a, a young unit. For sure. Um, so I'm going to go with the Ohio secondary versus our wide receiver group and Brendan Strange. So last week, um, like you said, Conference 2 is a opponent. Um, and Cassie Perry, the grad transfer from Miami, threw for 364 yards, five passing touchdowns, was 24-42, good for a 57.1 uh, accuracy percentage. Sorry about that. Um, so he absolutely picked apart the secondary, and I kind of went in to – see what the secondary was made of and their total snap counts are literally all over the place so you got their slot cornerback number 20 alvin floyd he's probably their best best coverage cornerback he allowed one catch on three targets for four yards after the catch um he'll most likely be on parker washington after we saw Washington play 50 snaps in the slot and only eight out wide. Um, so Washington might get shut down against him. I mean, it's obviously a Mac opponent, but this nickelback Floyd is the real deal. I think he's pretty good. However, I got three, one, Two, yeah, three names that we can absolutely exploit on Saturday. Starting with redshirt senior cornerback number eight, Justin Burchett. He played 45 snaps as a wide cornerback. He's five foot ten, 181 pounds, and had a lowly, I've never seen this, 39.8 coverage rate via PFF. <sighs> absolutely terrible um he allowed three catches all for first downs on five targets for 84 yards and a touchdown him and redshirt sophomore roman parody number four they kind of split time because i think the ohio state or the ohio staff kind of saw that he was struggling mm -hmm. so put him in for 42 snaps as wide corner, he allowed five catches all for first downs on seven targets for 44 yards and a touchdown, but had one pass breakup. So I think those two guys are going to be covering uh, Mitchell Tinsley, who we saw as the highest targeted wide receiver last week. Tinsley 6'1", 206. So if he's up against Burchette, who's 5'10", I mean, just lob him the ball downfield. Gonna go up and get it. Um, third, we got Ben Johnson, a redshirt junior safety, number 30. He had 60 snaps last week. He played strong safety and in the box, so he'll most likely be matched up against Brenton Strange. Um or he'll fill in as the slot corner, in which case we can absolutely take advantage with Parker Washington there. Uh, but Johnson let up. He was had a perfect game, five catches on five targets 
course, 77 yards and three first downs. So yet another guy to exploit, and he actually had a worse coverage grade than Burchette. 32.6. Which if you've ever been to school, that's a failing grade. That's if (laughs) see me after class grade. I was going to say, I think he had 15 tackles, too. You definitely don't want your strong safety leading you in tackles. No, no chance. He was giving up all the, no, all the receptions. So, they're, I would say their their decent cornerback is a guy named uh, Tory Cox Jr., true sophomore, played four to three snaps last week. Uh, he's five nine, one hundred sixty six pounds. He allowed two catches for first downs on six targets for only thirty two yards. Did allow a touchdown, but had a pass break up. So I'd imagine he would be against Lambert Smith on the outside. Mm-hmm. Lambert Smith actually played. Uh, where is it? Not the exact numbers, but he played more on the outside than in the slot, which was kind of mm-hmm. not what I expected. I expected Lambert Smith being in the slot. Um, so I'm gonna call it right now. I'm gonna say Lambert Smith, Brenton Strange, and Tinsley. All score touchdowns, ooh, in the first half of that game. Love that take. Love to see Parker get involved, but I'll take those three as well. Yeah, Par- Parker. I think they'll move Parker because he he played a lot. He fifty snaps in the slots a lot, so mm-hmm. I think they might move him out wide unless they get a good matchup with him in the slot. Um, but even so, uh. FAU that I mean they had a retro freshman go for 105 yards and two touchdowns, nine catches. Another retro freshman go for three catches, 46 yards, and a touchdown. And then a retro junior transfer from Iowa Central Community College go for five catches for 115 yards and touchdown against this secondary. Mm. So I'm taking all of the receiving props in this game. <laughs> like, that's a fact. I wish you could put that in Big Ten Batting Bonanza, <laughs> which will be coming up next. We had two bad losses, one terrible beat by the Croatian Bear, and one questionable push by me. But we'll get back to it with week two of the Big Ten Bag Bonanza after this. Welcome back to the greatest betting competition of all time, the Big Ten Betting Bonanza. And we're going to start off with our first bad beat of the season, unfortunately for Dave. Maryland was minus 23 and a half. They were up 31 to 7. Buffalo has the ball in Maryland territory. There's 6.07 left in the fourth quarter, and Buffalo decides to kick a field goal and cover the game rather than 
go for the much harder touchdown and then rely on the field goal later if they're thinking about coming back. But yeah, that happened. That happened to Dave. Total loser energy from Buffalo. Loser <laughs> energy on that one. Fuck Buffalo. The biggest. <laughs> and then I had. I mean, if we just bet it, freaking twenty four hours later, I would have won it. But that awful push for Indiana ended up working out because I would rather have a push than a loss. So mm-hmm. as we stand. We both are at plus one, riveting. Um, Dave was one and two last week, minus 1.05 units. I was pretty impressive. One, one, and one down a tenth of a unit. (laughs) So breaking (laughs) even week one, which I love because I usually suck betting week one college football um so dave i went first last week why don't you go ahead and do the honors of giving us the first pick of week two of the big 10 betting bonanza so i'm gonna go back to the well to the team that boned me last week and it's not maryland i'm going back to the buckeye well okay you know, I'm a sucker for big lines. I got the Buckeyes minus 43 and a half against the Arkansas State Red Wolves. You're not taking the first they, half line? They, what's that? You're not going to take the first half line? No, full game line. That's our cool game. You. Mark this down. Curb your enthusiasm incoming. I'm Back ready. I'm ready what for it? it. Give it to me. Minus. Buckeyes come back strong. They win at least. Minus how much? At least 56 nothing. Minus how much? 43 and a half. Okay. I'm praying for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting away. I'm sitting away. I was going to do first half, but I'm sitting away from Ohio State just (laughs) because of how they scored me last week. Um, My first pick is going to be a team I faded last week. But I'm going back to them because I like taking teams that didn't cover the week before. So I'm going Illinois minus four and a half against Virginia. Chase Brown this season has been absolutely unreal. 151 his first game, 199 against Indiana. UVA allowed 4.9 yards per carry against the Richmond Spiders. So just imagine what Chase Brown is going to do. Illinois minus four and a half. Book it. Yeah, I like that pick. All right. Uh, pick number two. Mentioned a little bit previously. I'm going to the battle for the Cyhawk trophy for the great state of Iowa. I am going with the Cyclones. Yeah. Outright. Love it. Money line. Plus three, plus 145 dogs. The disrespect in that line. Cyclones all over the Hawkeyes in this one. Give me the the Cyclones straight up. That would be a plus three point total. Um, I'm going to stick with that game. I looked at the spread. So after Iowa wins seven to three against... South Dakota State. 
And I believe Iowa State beat – let me check here. Southeastern Missouri State, 42 to 10. Mm-hmm. You'd think Iowa State would have a, the edge there. Mm-hmm. But somehow the spread's Iowa minus three, even though they just shat the bed against last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go with a good old fashioned Big Ten bash and just go under 40 and a half in that game as my second like pick. That. I have said it time and time again. I hate the state of Iowa. Go kick rocks. This game's going to be like 6 3. <laughs> I don't even care. Still no touchdowns. Baseball sport. Everyone in Iowa can enjoy it. Eight to two game. Congratulations. Field of dreams, baby. <laughs> yeah, screw <laughs> Iowa. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm. Never met a never met a malicious person from Iowa in my entire life. <laughs> out of two total. I was gonna say, have you met a person <laughs> from Iowa? <laughs> two people total. Family members. Too. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. Uh, pick. pick number three. I am gonna go with the Michigan Wolverines. Big spread here against the Hawaii. Golden War or Rainbow Warriors, but I'm gonna take the under in this one. 67 and a half. Michigan, uh Michigan spread 51 and a half. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt if they covered that, but I could see this ball game being, I don't know, 58 to 7, 59, 7, and that still gives me cover. So that's a that's a big spread. That's tough. Uh, it's just really going to be a matter of how much does Michigan score. So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and sixty under, under sixty seven, under sixty seven and a half. Okay. So let's say, so going by touchdowns, you'd say Michigan gets fifty six, maybe mm-hmm. eight scores. So then you're looking at yeah, why is to get ten or under? Yeah, that to be under. Which I mean, they could, they could, or I mean, you know, hey, traveling from you know Hawaii to Ann Arbor, a little bit of jet lag in there. Too. True, and I for Outside some reason I I always think uh, Hawaii is the Cole McDonald days where they were just fucking slinging it, just yeah, hard offense. So <laughs> it's probably a good call there. So that was under fifty or sixty-seven. Excuse me. By the way, three underpicks, three this season. We were in over mm. last year. We're learning our lessons. Yeah. You're living um, and learning, baby. I am going to go with another first half spread. It's not going to be Ohio State. It's not going to be Iowa State. I refuse to even look at I'm not even going to look at that game. Not even gonna come across my brain. I just despise that state. I'm gonna go with the Michigan State Spartans first half spread against Akron. So last week the Spartans were up 21-3 against the Western Michigan Broncos, and then Western Michigan kind of made it a game towards the end. Ended up losing 35-13. That full game spread is 34, which 
honestly would take. But I think the first half spread of 21 is a little safer. Only because Akron beat St. Francis in PA. St. Francis Red Flash in overtime. 30-23. Akron's not it this year. So I got Michigan State minus 21, three touchdowns, first half spread. And nice that will do Michigan. It. Nice to see the Spartans branching outside of the Michigan borders for their non-con game and not just suiting up to play Eastern Michigan this week. So glad to see that. Going all the way to Ohio so far. <laughs> it's very uh, bold. That will do it for week two of the Big Ten Betting Bonanza. Make sure to follow us once we get hot or tail us once we get really cold. And uh, once again, we appreciate you guys for listening and tuning in. Uh, we love doing this. We're going to keep tuning on episodes and um, excited for this hopeful bloodbath of a game against the Ohio Bobcats coming up. <laughs> Thanks, guys.